their family, so that's exciting. And also pray for Alyssa. She goes for some tests this week, and depending on the, uh, the results of those tests, they may have to induce uh, her baby early. So uh, just uh, keep Alyssa in your prayers as well. Uh, this week. got a picture, and if you and and let's go back to Joel one and remember that Joel's Joel's prophecy here, what he's talking about, uh, what he's writing about, is the judgment of God on three fronts. It's the current judgment that the nation was facing this this huge infestation of locusts that was destroying everything in the land. It was that judgment he was talking about. We saw a lot of that in Joel chapter one. It was also the judgment on Israel by many nations over the years, God's judgment over the years for their sin. And then it's also a picture and discussion about the ending judgment, the final judgment, the day of the Lord. So in Joel, you're really getting three different sets of judgments talked about. And we saw that as we got to verse 11 of chapter 2, because it says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is very is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? So we've transitioned in chapter 2 from the locust to the other judgments. And now at verse 11, we definitely see a discussion about the Lord and his army. We're talking about the end of times. We're talking about the great day of the Lord, the final judgment of God on this earth. And so we see all these judgments, all this discussion going on. And then we come to verse 12. And that's our first point today. Actually, it's a carryover from the last sermon. So it's actually point number two. And it's point number two is a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Notice what it says starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. We're going to stop right there. He says, now, he says, turn ye even to me. The pulpit commentary says that God, by the prophet, calls upon the people to return and to repent, to fast and to weep, to grieve inwardly and mourn outwardly for their sin. That's probably a pretty good way to sum it up. Probably a pretty good way to sum it up. Isaiah chapter 29, if you just turn back there for a second. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13 says this. It says, Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as his people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. God's talking about giving lip service as opposed to true repentance. You know, we can put on the air of repentance. We can make it look like we've come clean with God. We've confessed our sin. and We can put that, that air on. We can come forward to the altar and pray. Back in those days, they put on sackcloth and ashes when they were grieving or when they were repenting of deep sin. And so, as, as Joel here is writing, notice what he says because these are important, important words. He, he says... He says that you, you need to come to the Lord uh, to with your whole heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. We must be careful that, to make sure that, that our worship of God is genuine and not just lip service. Mark chapter 7. Um, we can see this uh, same thought in, in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 7, 
and starting in verse 1. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Then came uh, together unto him the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with the file, that is to say with unwashed hands, it's, he, it says uh, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked them, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied unto you hypocrites, as is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is Christ going back to that passage that we just read out of Isaiah, saying, Listen, they honor me with their lips, but their heart, the part that's important, the part that should be there, is far from me. It's far from me. And so we must be careful to make sure that our worship of God is genuine. But then notice as he goes into verse 13, and, and, and this first phrase in verse 13, it, it's, it, to me, is such a powerful phrase. He says, and rend your heart and not your garments. What's he saying? He's saying, he said, I don't care about the outward expression. He said, you can rend your garments all day long. I don't care if you tear your garments to shreds. He said, I want to see that you have a heart change. That's what I want to see. Not just lip service. Not just saying I'm, I'm repenting. Not just saying I'm changing direction. Not just saying I'm, I'm heading another way. He says, I want you to rend your hearts. We see here the call to true repentance. One can put on an outward visual but rending, by rending one's garment, but true repentance takes place where? It takes place in the heart. It's on the inside. It's on the inside. And folks, we have to be so careful because it is easy to put a facade on the outside and to act like everything's great and I'm loving the Lord and I'm living right and everything's going good and we can put that facade on the outside and, and put that show out there for men to see. But if our heart is not with God, the facade is worthless. It's worthless. And so we must be careful. When we come, the, the, uh, the writer Joel here, he, he is coming to the people that are, are, have been, I mean, their land has been destroyed by locusts. Nothing green is left. They, they even ate the bark off the trees. If you remember, I mean, their land is devastated. They have no food. They have no oil. They have no, it's, it's devastation everywhere. And Joel says, listen, you need to come clean with God. He said, you need to repent, but don't just put on a facade of repentance. He said, you need to truly repent. You need to rend your heart, not your garments. That's what he says here. True repentance. Turning unto the Lord. You know, the word repentance it, it involves, it's, it's a change of direction. The word repent literally means I am walking this way in life and I turn and now I am walking this way in life. That's what repentance is. It's not just a slight course correction. I think so often in our lives we think, oh, I'll just change a little this or change a little that. I'm good. That's not what repentance is, folks. Repentance is going the opposite direction I was going. I was traveling this way, and now I'm traveling this way. 
And I'll tell you what it really is, folks. It's really turning around and running back to God. That's what it is. When we truly repent, when we've gotten away from God, we've created a gulf between us and God. When we sin, there's this gulf fixed between us. And we break that fellowship. And the more we sin, the more we break that fellowship. And when we finally come to God in true repentance, it's literally our turning around and running back to God because He hasn't moved. We're the ones that have moved. We've moved away from Him in our sin. And the repentance is moving back to Him. And so that's what what Joel's talking about here. He's talking about a true repentance of the heart. And notice what he says. Back to verse 13. And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. And then I want you to notice what he says about God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Joel gives us this beautiful picture of God. God who is waiting for us to repent. God who is standing there hoping that we are going to turn from the wicked ways in us and come back to Him. And He gives us this description of God. And this description is, and these are benefits that we receive when we truly repent. They're benefits from God to us. God's graciousness to us. God's mercy given to us. God's slowness and anger that benefits us. God's great kindness given to us. God's willingness to suspend the judgment that He's judging with that benefits us. See, these are all huge benefits that we gain when we truly truly come to God in repentance. We gain those things. We see some of these same thoughts in other passages. Psalm, we can go back to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 in verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Psalm 145 and verse 8. Psalm 145 and verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. And there is verse after verse after verse that we could turn to, many of them in the Psalms, but in other passages of Scriptures as well, that we see the goodness, the kindness, the graciousness, the mercy, the long-suffering of God to us. And we need to understand that God does bestow on us benefits when we get right with Him. Now, folks, does that mean everything that happened is gone forever? No, it doesn't mean that. Sometimes the sin that we sin causes problems in our life for our future. Sometimes we break relationships. Sometimes we we break down our body because of the sins that we've partaken in. Sometimes those things don't go away, folks. But God is there, and God is gracious, and He's merciful, and He's slow to anger. Boy, I'm thankful for that that He is slow to anger. All these benefits. But God promises to forgive sin. See, one of the things I think we think about all so often is we think about 1 John 1.9 and, and, and we so often think about 1 John 1.9 when we're talking to somebody that's not saved. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yes, that's true. God does forgive sin. But 1 John is written to Christians, folks. 1 John and 1 John 1.9 is a verse that's written for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ our Savior. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What a great assurance to know that I have a God who will forgive my sin. He does not always, as I mentioned though, take away the temporary punishment for sin. Turn over to 2 Samuel 2 Samuel chapter 10. We all know the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, sorry, chapter 12, starting in verse 10, it says, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So what happened in that passage? Well, Nathan assured David that God had taken away his sin. But he also assured David that there was going to be a consequence for his sin. There were consequences for his sin, and those consequences weren't going away. Sometimes God does choose to remove the consequences, but not always. And that was one example where the consequences did not go away. So let's go back to our passage in Joel. Verse 13, he says, he says, Rend your heart, not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God. Verse 14, Who knoweth if he will return and repent and have a blessing behind him, even a meat offering, a drink offering, unto the Lord your God. So the, so the writer here, Joel, is basically saying, listen, we need to repent. We need to come to true repentance, not just lip service. It needs to be genuine from the heart. And maybe, because that's what he says, he says, who knoweth, maybe God will repent of this judgment. He'll bring this judgment to end. That's what Joel is saying. He's saying, we don't know, and we're not guaranteed it. But what I do know is we need to repent. That's what Joel is saying. And then notice verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, babies. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her cloth. He's, call, he's calling for the nation to be gathered together to repent as a nation from the youngest, from the baby all the way to the oldest, to the elder, even to the bride and the groom who have just been married, who in Bible times they were given a period of time that they were not to be pulled into things like military campaigns and things like that. They had this time that they could be adjusted to their wet marriage. And, and he says, call them all together. Bring them all together. That's what he's saying. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? He says, listen, he says, in light of what I've said in verse 13, the fact that you need to rend your heart and not your garments, he said, you need to call the people together so that as a nation, 
we can repent of the sins that have brought God's judgment on us. Folks, if there's ever a time that we as a nation need to call on the mercy of God in repentance, it would be now. It would be now. The sins that our nation has allowed to take place, the murder of innocent babies in the womb, the changing and disregard for the family that Christ established, the, the absolute just blasphemy of God and anything to do with God. Listen, folks, we need to come together first as Christians, Second Chronicles chapter 7, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We need to come together first as Christians and we need to repent. Not give it lip service, but truly repent from the heart. That's what he is calling the folks at this time to do. To hopefully bring an end to the judgment of God. And so notice what he says. And this is our third point. The process of repentance. Notice what he says. He said, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this, this, this repentance, this spiritual repentance ought to be led by your religious leaders. They ought to be the ones that are sitting at the temple weeping over the sin that they themselves have committed and the sins of the nation. That's what he's saying. And folks, I have to ask, we have to ask ourselves this question. When was the last time that we wept over our sin? When was the last time that we were so convicted because of the wrong that we had done that it brought us to tears? We have to ask ourselves that question. You know, we let all kinds of things in our life bring us to tears. Our ball team wins the championship. Amen. There's tears of joy. This happens in our life and there's tears. This happens in our life and there's tears. When was the last time we shed tears because of our sin? As we repented and came back to God, a God who was waiting for us to come back. But notice what he says. He says, let the priests and ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, begging in prayer for forgiveness from God. God, please spare us your judgment. That's what he's calling for. Prayer. Prayer. The prayer of sparing the judgment. The, also the prayer, notice it goes beyond that though. He says, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to a reproach. Don't let us be a reproach to your name, God. Spare us your judgment as we repent and come back to you so basically that we don't give you a bad name. That's what Joel's having them pray for. Psalm 79. Psalm 79 and verse 9. Psalm 79 and verse 9 says this. It says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sign of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of the power, thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die. And render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach wherewith they have reproached thee, O Lord. 
So we, thy people, and sheep of thy pasture, will give thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. The psalmist here is basically begging God to deliver them. To deliver them. And to show himself strong in the face of all the nations and in the face of their enemies. So that we can show forth praise to God. Praise to God. That takes us to point number four. The change caused by repentance. Notice verse 18. It says, Then will the Lord be jealous for His land and pity His people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto His people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into the land, barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. What happens when God's people truly come to him in repentance? What happens is God responds. God responds. And God responded here. And notice what he says. Look, look at the difference. Look at the difference real quick. Um, in, look at back to verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Blow ye a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my, holy, in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Trembling, fear. Look at verse 21. Fear not. <laughs> What a difference. Verse 1, it's, it's tremble, fear. Blow the trumpet so that we are afraid of what is coming. And verse 21 is, fear not. What's the difference? In between there, there was repentance. And now God, because of their repentance, there's going to be a change. Prior to their point of their repentance, there was destruction of the land. The land was completely devastated. But now God says, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto His people. Folks, that verse ought to get us excited. That verse ought to encourage us that when we pray and cry out to God and repent, the Bible tells us the Lord will answer. The Lord will answer. Our God is wanting to pour out on us blessings from heaven. But we have to be in the right relationship with Him. Many of the promises in the Bible, there are, there are things that we have to do to receive those promises. Some there are not, but many there are. And God is waiting for us to come to Him to repentance so He can pour out His blessing on us. And what was the blessing right now on Israel? Their land had been devastated by locusts. There was nothing green in the land. The oil was gone. The corn was gone. The green was gone. What does God say? He goes right after it. He says, I will send you corn and wine and oil and ye shall be satisfied. Not only am I going to turn this judgment around and not only am I going to let things start growing again, but He said they're going to grow again in such a way that you will be satisfied. In other words, you're not going to have any more needs. I'm going to take care of your needs. Isn't that not what God did for the nation of Israel time and time and time again? Took care of their needs. And folks, 
That same God wants to take care of our needs today. He does. He wants to provide blessing for us. But how does it come? It didn't come till there was some repentance. Till there was some true heart change. That's when it came. That's when it came. A complete reversal of what had taken place. Now they would be satisfied. Satisfaction found only in the God of our salvation. Psalm 63. Got to go to the Psalms for a passage like this. Psalm 63. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. What a wonderful passage of Scripture that helps us understand what God is ready to pour out for us. They would no longer be a reproach upon their repentance and faithfulness to God, this promise would be in effect. But not only was God going to restore the land, now we go back to talking about invading armies. Because you notice in verse 20, he starts talking about the northern army. So now we're past the locusts. Now we're back to the armies that come in later. And notice what he says of them. He says, And his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up. In other words, he is going to annihilate the enemy. What is the idea of stink? Well, it's kind of gross, folks, but it's decaying bodies. It's the, it's the leftovers of war. And God says what? I'm, I'm going to take care of the enemy. The enemy's going to be taken care of. And his stench will fill the land when I destroy the enemy. Why? He tells us. Because the enemy hath done great things. The enemy hath so chastened God's people. And God says, now I'm going to deal with the enemy. And that takes us to our last point today, Roman numeral 5. And that is confidence in God. Confidence in God. Notice what it says, starting in verse uh, 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. So that's back to the locust invasion. Now he's saying to the beasts of the field, hey, don't worry. <laughs> you don't worry. Your food supply is coming back. The things that are green are springing up. The food chain is back in its normal working. That's what he says. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. What does he say? He says this time where it's been such a drought and the, and the locusts have eaten anything, I'm going to cause the rain to come on the earth to grow the green plants. And, but he said it's going to come down moderately. not going to be a monsoon where it destroys things. It's going to come down moderately so it waters the plants. And I'm going to restore the rain that was gone before and the current rain. I'm going to take care of both of them. So there's going to be plenty. So everything can grow. That's what he's saying. 
and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer, uh, palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. He says, I am going to restore everything just like it was before. Why? Because people repented of their sin. That's why. Because of repentance. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Remember, what did they call for? They said, Lord, let us not be a reproach anymore to the enemies around us. And he said, listen, my people aren't going to be ashamed. My people aren't going to be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. Folks, I don't know about you, but that's a huge encouragement to me today. He says, Ken Biggs, ye shall know that I'm in the midst. Ye shall know that I'm the Lord your God. Ye shall know that you don't ever need to be ashamed. That's what he's saying. That's written as much for us today as it was for the nation of Israel back in Joel's day. And it shall come to pass, verse 28, afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord so now the shift we shift here he's been, he's talked about the locust and, and destroying the armies that came after them. <coughs> Excuse me. Now all of a sudden, he makes this shift again to the end of times, to the great day of the Lord. And that's what he says. He says, The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. What is he doing here? He says, he says, first of all, there's restoration. But he says, he says, listen, the great day of the Lord is coming. And he said, when that day comes, he says, I will show wonders in the heavens. And it will be a terrible, awesome day. But he ends with something very encouraging that I don't want us to miss. And it says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Whosoever. See, folks, God's deliverance is for all mankind. It's not just for one group of people. It's not for just for one nationality. It's not just for one people group. It's for all of mankind. He says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. The God of our salvation. What an incredible passage. As Joel lays out the need for repentance and then the, then the benefit that comes from repentance. And now next week as we dive into Joel 3, we're going to see as God begins establishing the judgment of the nations with the battle of Armageddon at the end of time.
the great day of the Lord. But Joel has prophecy. The locusts, the current enemies of Israel, and the judgment at the end of time. And he's taking a picture through all three of those. But in the midst of all that, Joel spends half a chapter here calling us to repentance. True repentance. Not just lip service. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of this passage. Excellent passage in Joel here, folks. And, and I, I just can't, every time I read that, that part where it says, rend your heart and not your garments, that, that really challenges me. That God doesn't want lip service, folks. He doesn't care about the outward rending of garments. He cares about the rending of a heart. The change in our heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, when was the last time I wept over my sin? When was the last time I rent my heart because of my sin? When was the last time I came to God in true repentance? That's what he's calling on us and asking us today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the service. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior. That last verse in that passage, whosoever, whosoever. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He shed his blood on the cross for your sins and for mine. He gave his life on that cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And in doing so, the scripture tells us that he conquered hell and the grave. And then God gave the gift to us of eternal life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today if you never accept that gift. If that's you and you want to come forward, I'll have somebody take a Bible that can show you how you can know for sure that you're saved today. But if you're here today and you're saved, Joel was speaking to the nation of Israel. And he was saying, hey folks, we need some true repentance. Not lip service. So where are we today? Do I need to repent of something in my life today? We'll wait for a moment as the piano plays. Maybe the Lord's done business with you. Maybe you need to sit back down at your pew and Spend some time in prayer to God. The altar's open if you want to pray this morning. We wait just a moment.